Third Degree, the podcast is brought to you by Soccer 90. Now, Soccer 90 is your source for all the U.S. national team gear, FC Dallas gear, and club gear from pretty much anywhere around the world, like Chivas, Chelsea, Juventus, and even the new USA stuff. And because you are a third degree listener that is so beloved, you get 25% off your order when you use the code third degree at checkout over at soccer90.com. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another joyful, happy, elated, celebratory episode of Third Degree the Podcast. Why? Because since we last talked to you, there have been not one, but two road games. And from that, Dallas and Lucci have gotten their first four road points of the season. Yes, that means they actually won a game on the road. And to talk all about it, first off, my good friend, Dan Crook. Come in, Dan. Hey, Peter. How's it going? I am delighted. Absolutely wonderful to hear. I don't believe you. And uh, the editor and founder, your hero and mine of thirddegree.net, the good Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Hi, Peter. Calling in from Miami, where I just brokered a deal between Messi and Beckham. <laughs> Man, that is what shook the world today. News that Messi is not uh, staying at Barcelona. So I have to be honest. I, did, I learned on my radio show a week ago that La Liga had a spending cap. I did not know that. Did you know this? Uh, no. They, they do, unless your name's Real Madrid. <laughs> and then the government writes you a little note, and it's all's good. Yeah, they actually have a... It's not a salary cap. It's an overall spending cap. And what makes it unusual is that it's tied... Well, not unusual. It, it's not like you're thinking about like MLS, where everybody can only spend so much. It's a percentage of your revenue, almost like financial fair play was intended to be. Uh -oh. um, and that is what is keeping Barcelona from being able to do the deal that they agreed with with Messi. So we spent the better... Uh, I didn't either. I totally was caught off guard. And so we better spent the better part of a day having to suffer through every soccer club social media guy posting a picture of Messi in their jersey. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I knew about the fair play thing. I didn't realize that was related to, uh, you know, retention of a player, I guess. I mean, it's, you would have thought that was a guy that was under contract before. You just sort of roll over a new deal or whatever, and it wouldn't be impacted by that. But um, I mean, obviously, we've all seen the many reports about Barcelona being absolutely decimated financially, you know, and to be honest with you, they are, they probably need to get out from underneath Messi's contract anyway. Probably the, better off. The statement was funny because at the end, they just kind of chipped in a, you know, unless La Liga changes the rules. True, <laughs> <Right>. yeah. <laughs> sure did, yeah. And at the same time, uh, Real Madrid posted something about, I don't know if you saw the whole CVC partners buy in a percentage of the league and Real Madrid reduced the statement, like almost coordinated attacking La Liga for accepting the deal and signing away a portion of their rights for the next 50 years for uh, like $2 billion or whatever it is. It is certainly a mess. And when you think about all the noise coming from big uh, 12 cl uh, colleges that are complaining about A&M and, and, and uh, UT leaving the Big 12 and how it'll impact them financially. Imagine being one of the La Liga teams that now doesn't get to uh, have Messi come to town once a year. Think about the financial impact of that. Ooh. Oh, yeah. The whole league as a collective is going to lose a massive amount of revenue. Or if you're ESPN that just signed uh, La Liga, right? 
Yeah. He's paid a bunch of money, and then now he's going to be in England. Well, it, it does raise an interesting question if he shows up at, um, uh, you know, if he ends up showing up at um, uh, in Miami because he's been hanging out there for the last however long, if they could actually pull that off now. I don't well, know. That'll... Surely he has a couple of years left to benefit somebody like a Man City who would pay him obscene amounts of money. <laughs> Not quite ready for Inter Miami, maybe. Yeah, I was I was joking on uh, social media earlier today that Pep was running around looking for his uh, Grealish emergency break uh, yeah. so that he could pull it. <laughs> wait a second. Hold up. Wait. wait a second. Oh well. Okay, that's we, we, all that stuff. We lost the signed copy. It's void. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Our dog ate the contract. We can't do the deal yeah. anymore. Sorry, Jack. You're gonna have to go back to Villa. Well, uh, it's it's nice to be in a good mood because, as I said, uh, Dallas has gotten points from their last two games. First off, a road trip to Kansas City and the evil Peter Vermese, who looks more and more like Herman Munster as every season goes by. And we love nothing more than watching Peter Vermese just lose his collective shit every time he thinks something they've been aggrieved in some way, shape, or form. And boy, howdy, did he have a full of it uh, at the game uh, on uh, uh, earlier this week. Yeah, I mean, anytime that Sporting plays Dallas, Peter Vermees thinks he's been aggrieved. Now, you know, there's probably been some occasions where he has been, but there certainly have been lots of occasions where he hasn't, and he sure thinks he is, and gets... I've never seen somebody get upset, and I would understand it when the coach you're going up against has only won six road games ever, and three of them are against you, and then you add in the game last year here when they Dallas beat them 6 nothing. Uh, I'm sure for whatever reason, Vermees cannot stand the fact that he loses to Lucci all the time. <laughs> must drive him nuts now we have to admit up front that buzz you have not i can't believe of all the games in the world yeah. that you somehow bonked on recording it and then get you know uh blocked because of the stupid streaming rules you didn't get to see this game no i'm, I'm still working on a way to try and watch it like i might i might try a vpn or if i can get somebody through my media sources to post the game for me on the there's ways for me to watch it. i just haven't been able to do it yet because the th- things are moving really fast but um, it, it is one I, I missed and, but you know, I, from talking to some various people, I think it's similar enough to the, uh, the game that came in Seattle that we can talk about this team as a collective and Dan certainly can bring a lot on the, to the table for the sporting game. Yeah. Dan and I will fill you on in the SKC thing. Dan, you go ahead. Yeah. It wasn't actually that good. Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> you know how, you know, FC Dallas and SKC games go It's a whole lot of pushing, shoving, Crying about penalties that weren't given, mostly Peter Vermees. Uh Yeah, I mean, you know, what, like you said, what you saw in uh, in Seattle was a lot similar. A lot of pumping crosses in, kind of just trying to really uh, press. Well, not a high press, but you know, have that kind of like mid block and not exactly penetrate the back line uh, up front. Again, not getting a whole lot of chances. Uh, the SKC game, really, you just had a couple of moments where they laid off of uh, Pepe and, uh, sorry, uh, Jesus and, and Paxton on the goals. Uh, but yeah, it, it was kind of weird because it was like, you know, first road points, first road win. Wasn't really that interesting a game to watch, so <laughs> kind of left what? a hollow feeling. Yeah, it was a it was a, an odd uh, deal. Now, obviously, with Paxton scoring so early in the game on a really nice opportunity, his weaker foot, by the way, from distance, um, you know, it was one of those deals where you watch him and you're like, man, I hope he turns and shoots, and then he does it. 
and just caught everybody by surprise. It was such a nice start to the game. And then Jesus, kind of very early in the second half, something very similar, takes a really good opportunity, and people just making those kind of moments. You know, Buzz, we talk about this a lot in this league, which is what differentiates the teams that are successful from the ones that are not, is they have difference makers. And in this particular game, to me, those two moments are the types of things that we, by and large, have really seen missing from from Dallas for quite some time. I saw the Paxton goal. I saw a clip of that, and uh, that is a astonishing goal. Why you would leave those two guys open sort of, you know, in whatever that zone 14 is right outside the box there where they're the most dangerous is a good question. I will tell you that last week when I went to training, Lucci had the team working on a very specific tactical adaptation for when they were high on top of Kansas City. Because they, Lucci talked to the team, and I could hear him from the sideline, which you know I only talked about it afterwards. Now, is that they talked a lot about how probably one of the holding mids, and it was probably Busio the last time they played Kansas City, was having a lot of joy coming out of the back. So they made an adaptation where one of the two holders, and it was going to be Edwin, was going to check about 15 yards higher and try and stifle that guy. So it's entirely possible that that tactic actually is what moving Cirillo and I'm talking about in a high press now when you're in the Kansas City end moving him up to check that ball coming out of their end is probably what's creating a lot of the pressure that's leading to Jesus or Paxton being open in those situations finding joy and finding space so the first goal did uh, come from something similar to that but it was uh, Brisson and then Ryan stepping up into the midfield to to do the overload rather than Cirillo yeah so it's 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 nice sometimes when you see and as much as we bagged Lucci for mistakes, clearly this was, I even mentioned it, uh, I think last week when in the podcast that they had worked on a tactical adaptation. I think I even mentioned it. And this is what it was, was this idea of having these extra players step in and not letting Kansas City get out of their end very well. So when he does an adaptation that does work, and I, again, I didn't watch that game, but from the description, it sounds like it did work. So that's a, that's a nice moment for Lucci. The game was, uh, you know, we talked about these two games being similar, and they were. Uh, what, what's dissimilar about them is is that players that played well, uh, not everybody, but there are certain players that played well in Kansas City that didn't play well in Seattle. Uh, but Dallas did do typically what Lucci has them do in these games, which is play more defensively, try to help uh, stifle uh, the ability uh, to uh, really create inside the box like really kind of leaving teams left only with an option of kind of crossing balls in but man if there's been one really outstanding shining light through both of these games is uh Tafari who really has just grown leaps and bounds in front of our eyes over these games uh and for him to be able to go to his hometown or where he went to school uh and and play so well in front of that Seattle crowd including of having the the game tying assist Man, was a, has got to be the one thing that Lucci has taken away from this week and filled the, the best about. That kid's been so good lately that I'm now 100% in on, even if Martinez and Hedges are healthy, both of them, I think Nikosi should keep his spot. He's been so good that he doesn't deserve to be dropped, you know, even with both those other guys healthy. Now, which one you would pick him to play it with? Probably Hedges, I would assume. You know, even Tafari's weaknesses, which was his passing initially, have come up leaps and bounds. And his long passing in particular, which I have I watched him work on extra with a coach after training the other day, you know, he's aware of what his own weaknesses are and seeking to improve them. So you got to love a progression like this. You got to love a guy coming good like this. Mm-hmm. Two months ago, we had no idea this kid could play, and now he looks like fantastic. 
All right, Dan. Now I, I'm interested to know if you agree or disagree that I my personal feeling is that if you were to take these two games and combine them together, the man of the matches, in my opinion, is Falco. I just think he has been this quiet, consistent uh, force in the middle of the field. Not too. You don't have to. You don't see him very often. But man, I think he's been. He's really started to show his value as a signing for this club. I, I was. I was, thought you were going to plug my uh, little feature on uh, Nikosi then. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, we'll come back to that, Dan. Don't worry. <laughs> no, um, no, I think uh, I think uh, Faku has for sure. He was uh, he was everywhere yesterday, and uh, it's more so on the attacking side of the ball than the defensive side of the ball. And I felt like on uh, in SKC, it was kind of flipped the other way around, just with the makeup of their team being a little bit more narrow. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's had a few games like that where he just kind of swoops in a bit unnoticed, which honestly, a defensive midfielder, you don't want to notice too much. If you notice them too much, you're either getting hammered or they're screwing up. Um, Fair to I'm say sure. at this point that he's had the adjustment to the league stage of the, of the season over. Yeah, I mean, I would. He's not a world beater, right? Like, I'm, I'm not even still sure he's even as good as uh, Tiago Santos was, and he's certainly not um, Carlos Grezo. But he's been a solid addition to the team and an improvement for a space that they needed. Um, he just, you know, it was interesting that what as like we were talking about these games being similar. What was different about them was how, and Dan uh, kind of intimated about this was the difference between Cerio and Faco kind of changing positions. In one game, one was kind of saying was was playing a little deeper than the other, but in this game, you saw the inverse of that, which was Faco kind of going forward and getting into some interchange play uh, further up the field, and and I thought that was interesting. I don't know if that's just uh, Faku showing leadership because, you know, Surya had a great game at the weekend and, what you know, really struggled in yesterday. Seattle. So, yeah. you know, maybe he had to take the reins and kind of say, all right, well, I can play both sides of the ball, so, you know, you sit back. Um, which, I mean, if that's the case, amazing. Um, yeah, that was, that, was, that was kind of it. Yeah, um, and when I said before, like, you know, you don't want to notice your... Uh, Defensive midfielder. It's something like it's something I remember a coach telling me years ago. Um, just in watching the game, like you know, a quiet game can be a good thing in certain positions, and that's one that you want it to be quiet. You want to notice them when they do something good, but you don't want to be like when you watch uh, Busio star for uh, SKC. Well, previously, um, that's not always a good thing. You that's that's not a position you want to be dictating the show. You want to have those games where you had it with. Guys like Thiago Santos or or uh, Carlos Grosso, where they go a bit quiet and then they make a huge tackle, they make a great pass, and then they don't feature too much because they're just kind of in there, sort of steering the ship a little bit. Well, uh, we'll we'll kind of tie up the Kansas City game. Two amazing goals, a lot of really really tough and rough defensive work. Jimmy Maurer came up just peaches once again and is having. Uh, arguably an MVP season uh, for the team. He's really just coming up big all the time uh, and playing quite well. Uh, and and I don't know anything else about the Kansas City game in particular, uh, Dan, that we should throw out there that I'm forgetting. Yeah, I think uh, the, the one thing that I kind of had from it was uh, how good Shun was. Um, I, I've seen a bit of uh, criticism about his team concepts. Uh, I think, you know, they had a very clear plan to target Graham Zussi in, in Kansas City, and he was definitely the right guy for that job. 
Um, struggled a little bit um, in Seattle, and conversely, but uh, yeah, you know, they were flipping the wings. Um, whether he was going left or right, Shun was just just a beast. He was yeah. he was that guy that we saw at the that we briefly saw at the Euros and wanted to to have him back. Well, uh, Buzz, the best part of the Kansas City game, uh, um, besides driving Peter Vermees bonkers yeah. and uh, getting him to make Herman Monster face repeatedly, uh, is the fact that Lucci clearly put a plan in place and got the teams to execute it, execute it on on the road. And, and getting a win on the road uh, is always a good thing, even if it's the first time all year. So, uh, really, uh, winning is fun, as we like to say. And and that particular game in Kansas City turned out quite well yeah winning is always better than losing you know uh the difference i think with the current roster like that we're seeing in the last couple of games you know there's this young front they all talk about and other than shun three of those four guys and if you include evelyn that you include him in there too you know nikosi is not a homegrown but you know tuomas has been here for a couple years it's like you're looking at younger guys who all probably actually listen to Lucci, you know, it's somebody commented the other day that like they were surprised that like, you know, maybe players don't all do what the coach tells them to do all the time. And I was like, well, yeah. And sometimes those old guys really don't, you know, so it's the current group is tuned in and listening and engaged, I think, and is executing the game plan. And sometimes there's something to be said for that. And certainly there's also something to be said for the fact that Paxton is healthy ish. And he's a player that can change games. <laughs> you know? I think he's better. He's more than healthy-ish. I think that I think he's running what? I, Dan, would you say about eighty-five percent? Yeah, it's so. I mean, he's he's getting good minutes. He's making, you know, some great uh, contributions. Uh, I, I would say it's a lot easier to listen to preachy stuff when you're playing well, and it's not so ah uh, tough luck, guys. Better luck next time. Yeah. You know, Buzz, it's funny you bring all this up because the big takeaway for me from this week has been the fact that the starting lineup has, by and large, been made up of kids and the veterans, Vargas, Hara, Obreon, uh, you know, Acosta in the Seattle game, all started the game on the bench and the heavy lifting was done by homegrowns and the young guys. And, uh, and in Seattle, while the overall performance was not as good as it was in Kansas City, the travel and the wear and tear and tiredness, they did get the job done. And it just continues to make me wonder uh, how long this, this trend is going to... If, if Lucci does feel like he has the uh, latitude to stick with this and if the locker room will, will uh, accept it. Well, certainly a tie in Seattle is, if nothing else, a moral victory. As bad as the results Dallas has always had there, getting any kind of result there at all is a, quote, win. You know, so that he basically has two really good games in his favor. And when you do that, as a coach, you're, you're suddenly empowered to be able to continue to do what you're doing. Certainly, Pepe's play means that now Lucia has all the juice in the world to stick with him as long as he wants to. Unless the kid never scores again, then you maybe have to revisit that. But if he continues to play the way he's playing... That's easy. Paxton, the way he's playing, that's easy. Uh, Shun had, was a little bit of a uh, non-factor in Seattle, but that was more out of passi- passivity by Dallas than it was Shun himself. Of course, he's going up against Roldan. It was pretty good. But, you know, uh, Edwin had a great game, apparently, in sporting, and then it was a bit of a step back in the Seattle game. Maybe he's feeling the pressure of watching Acosta get warmed up and ready to come into the game. Tuomasi looks pretty good at right back. Remember, that was the plan over the winter. I've talked about that a couple of times. 
Tafari's coming on at center back. Hollingshead is a little more focused on defense than normal, maybe because the offense is looking really good, so he's not getting beat behind like he was before. So a lot of the problems this team had a month and a half ago are fixing themselves. Now, is this a playoff team? Well, we're going to find out in the long run. Maybe it is, but uh, it's going to be, it's certainly much better than it was even a month ago. And that empowers the coach to stick with it. Well, uh, it, yeah. I, you know, it's funny because today there are starting, you know, because the transfer window is closing here uh, in a very short w- uh, period of time, there are clubs making signings. And you look and you're like, oh my gosh, look at that. Look who signed. Look who they got. Oh, that, that's going to make them better. And then you think, oh, well, we've got Vargas. <laughs> yeah, it, it actually closed like an hour ago. Yeah. Okay. So, it is, okay. So I, like I said, very short period of time yeah. negatively anyway. Uh, so, you know, but Dallas has made the signings they've made and they haven't turned out, but the fact that Lucci is able to still get points, uh, you know, even against a, you know, a, a lesser Seattle side on the road is still an accomplishment for this team. You know, Peter, you and I have talked for years and years and years about the idea that could you build a team with homegrowns and young talents and make those guys the face of your team. And we talked about that it might take a couple of years of growing pains for that to happen and that to work. And it may be the last couple of years with Lucci, we've worked through that now, especially with the front four or five guys. And maybe there's a chance that you really can build forward with homegrowns and not have to go back to those veterans. If O'Brien can just be an off the bench, change of pace guy. That's fine. If Hara continues to work hard in training, which he has, he's not rocked the boat. He's been a good professional. If he continues to do that, you know, if Vargas, Vargas has got a couple of off field things going on that he needs to get straightened out, but you know, he's such a young guy. He's not going to be a big headache. Ricarte also, even though he's been on the bench has shown himself to be a true professional and been ready when he's come into games so really, there's not anybody right now among these veterans that's causing a stink, that's rocking the boat. And that also allows Lucci to continue to do what he's doing. All right. So what I'll be interested in, since we're talking about the Seattle game, is that clearly the shift in the game for Dallas came when Lucci started making all of the, the, the substitution changes. And off came all the kids and on came all the veterans, including Acosta and Hara and Vargas and Obreon. Uh, what differences did you notice in the team between those two versions in the game? Well, Seattle had scored. I mean, Seattle quit playing high. Once they mm-hmm. scored, they sat there like, we're better than Dallas, and they stopped playing the way they were playing. The biggest change tactically is that, uh, and I did this in my uh, instant reaction, was that um, in the first two-thirds of the game, basically, D- Dallas was doing what they sometimes do when they go to the Pacific Northwest is they play sort of passively in this low block. And we've talked many times about you can be in a low block and still be proactive. And what happens when they play passively is that Jesus comes further and further and further back looking for the ball. Well, that neutralizes him. It makes him ineffective, and he gets taken out for Acosta in the 60th minute. You bring Acosta on, who's more of a builder linker, that got better. Now, granted, they played him a little bit higher, of course, but still, he's a guy that's looking to play the ball forward. Also, that passivity, particularly Jesus coming back, leaves Pepe on an island. So the whole team, because Seattle then started sitting back, the whole team came out of their end, began to have a little bit of possession, and it was so much possession that the possession stat completely flipped. And Dallas ended up with 52% possession on that game, which is unbelievable if you watched it. So they didn't have have the ball at all for the first two-thirds of the game. So it was a combination of Seattle thinking they had it wrapped up when they didn't, and a couple of guys that are more willing to create and link forward and play forward out of the back 
you know, that sort of changed the whole thing. And it really was mostly because of Acosta. Dan, go say, ahead, Dan. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say, I, I did like the changes. I mean, I thought the Acosta switch was a little bit odd at first, just with the, the positional uh, differences. But, I mean, definitely getting an old head, an older head and uh, a good passer on the ball. Uh, you know, Pepe was struggling against Yamar. I mean, everyone was struggling against Yamar. That guy was insane. Yeah, he was. Um, he was but yeah, good. getting getting higher on for his hold up play, switching the wingers out, getting getting a little more pace to go around the outside. Because we saw it in the first half. You know, they were, you know, like you say they were trying to be positive while playing passively, trying to get Shun and Pomacol in behind the, the, the wing backs in that back five. They were having, you know, they weren't having a great deal of success, and they tried playing over the top to Pepe, and he was just getting bullied. So yeah, you know, it made more sense, you know, get 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 some pace in there, get some oops, get a little bit of additional strength, and yeah, I mean, the goal obviously didn't really uh, come of it, but I mean, even immediately after the the substitutions, there was uh, Yamar took out Obrian. Acosta's free kick, you know, Acosta has the free kick. They immediately have that great chance with uh, uh, Quinone uh, having that ball cleared off, uh, clawed back off the line by Cleveland, who didn't have a whole lot to do, but had a great game in the in his moments. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, people pan Lucci for his subs, but they were they were well timed. They were they were reactionary, which he doesn't really like to do. He likes to be proactive. But still, they were they were well timed. They were appropriate, and they they were effective. I'm not sure whether it was a tactical adjustment on Lucy's part, or whether it was a symptom of Seattle sitting back more, and maybe because Obreon was in front of him. But Tuomasi spent the last third of the game almost like as a wide midfielder. You know, like Hollingshead was staying back, so it was almost like a three kind of because Defari was sliding over, and and Emo went much higher and was playing up underneath. Obreon and actually sometimes getting wide of him and playing in combination play like a modern outside attacking back. So whether that was a team concept or it just sort of happened because of the way they were trying to get back in the game, they, you know, that was pretty indicative. Were they trying to keep Smith up the field, like trying to uh, keep him from cheating too far forward maybe? Uh, certainly that could be a part of it. Uh, Emma has the pace to be able to run up and down the field with Smith. Like Smith got him once or twice, but he also was able to run with him a couple of times. And even if you don't get him marked one-on-one, you at least keep him busy and occupied, you know, and, and O'Brien's not going to help Tuomasi any defensively. So, you know, Tuomasi knows he has to do the whole thing by himself, but uh, there was some, some nice verticality there, particularly like in the first two thirds, I said, when they were all sitting back at uh, Tomasi, wasn't really doing that. He wasn't getting forward. He was sitting way deep, mm-hmm. you know, wide, but deep. And then over the last third of the game, he, he was, he might as well have been like Ronnie O'Brien up there on right midfield <laughs> playing. And O'Brien was cutting in so much. It was opening up the wing for him. So, you know, it was either a tactical plan that worked or it was adjustment the players made on the field. And that was part of what worked. Well, there was a significant, there was a big difference in Seattle when Brad Smith came on the field. He's a a significant jump in quality for them. Yeah, no question. But I don't think he destroyed Dallas or anything. Like there was a couple times Tafari came and covered up for um, Tuomasi when he got caught up. And they worked pretty well with that, in fact. I I think, um, you know, I I definitely lean towards that being more of a player adjustment. Um, Tafari was one of the players that came up for media availability and, you know, he said, uh, you know, I went up for the corner and honestly, Seattle would kind of abandon the left at times or the Dal- the uh, yeah, their left, so the Dallas right at times. So he just sat there and it just so happened the ball fell to him. 
Mm. Uh, you know, they were definitely uh, hitting on on Roald Dahn through the game, trying to trying to get that right side going. So after a, a stretch and a period of Dallas giving up a lot of set pieces, it felt like a little bit in this stretch that Dallas had worked a lot of that out. But once again, they give up a goal on a set piece somewhat softly. I think uh, Montero does a, a good job to get his head on the ball. I, I just wonder if this can, is going to continue to be a source of, a, of an issue for, for Lucci moving forward. Well, they had 31 crosses to 13, which is a lot. Uh, Tafari's looking to be pretty good in the air. Uh, uh, Brisson, statistically, he does win a fair number of headers, but I think it's just because he's playing center back. I don't, I don't put Brisson up there as a great aerial guy. Like I feel like he gets beat on corners more often than other people does. Mm -hmm. So it's the kind of thing I think that when you get a hedges back, you know, and maybe a Martinez back, uh, you know, that, that, that'll clean up some of that a little bit. And, and Tafari's doing a great job of it for the most part. Anyway, like he got beat on the corner. Well, I don't know that he got beat on the corner. The man he was marking was in front of him, was... and and Martero came over Tafari's back. And after the goal, you can see Tafari turn around and go, "Where the hell did that guy come from?" That's basically <laughs> he said that after the game. He tried to take in the blame for that. I mean, Montero was Pepe's guy, and Pepe was just watching the ball. Yeah, um, Brisson lost his guy as well. So you've got Tafari with three guys coming coming at him attacking yeah. the ball. I mean, he's, he's got no chance there. Yeah, That's you know, the, what, fifth set-piece goal now this season? Yeah. Something like that. I, you know, I do wonder, because I've seen this trotted out quite a bit in the last few weeks, which is the number of clearances Tafari has had over a course of these games, and everybody's like, man, these numbers are amazing. And and then somebody was like, we well, you know that's actually a sign of good defense, that if, only team, if the only thing teams can do are cross the ball in. And then I think, man, I don't know. That number of crosses just tells me there, there's a team that's just sitting back yeah. and playing low block and not keeping the ball at all. So uh, I guess my question is, should we be celebrating – Tafari having 11 billion clearances in over the course of a game. I, I, I'm not sure that's the stellar stat many people are making it out to be. No, and, the, and Kansas City had 35 crosses. It, it definitely is not. That's part of what I'm talking about when I talk about the passivity. Like, you can play in a low block, but you still need to be aggressive. You still need to get out on guys and deny crosses. You still need to press and run your press triggers because you can press from a deep block. It, it doesn't have to be a high press. You can low press. So it's like that, that aggressiveness – and that denial of balls in and the, guy, the denial of combinations out in front of you. Because remember, they had a problem a while ago with shots from midfielders that were crashing in that weren't getting tracked. Again, that was passivity. So it's like those are both symptoms of things you don't want and a sign that there still is some work to do defensively uh, with this team. You know, this, this is why it's still not a great team. It's still a team with lots of things to be worked on. So um, something to get better at for sure. But I, I don't want to blame Tafari for this because he's not – He's playing very active and very aggressive, and I, I love what I'm seeing with him. I was going to ask this question based on a comment you made earlier in this episode, which was, uh, even if Hedges and Martinez both come back healthy, you think Tafari keeps his position, which then begged me to wonder suddenly, oh, no, that mean Lucci's going back to three in the back? Oh, uh, well, uh, I think he should keep his spot. I, don't, I have no idea if he will or not. Uh, certainly, I actually think three in the back is a legitimate option. Um, you know, Lucci likes it. You know, he likes it particularly on the road. I was watching Seattle play. Basically, they play that same system. The mm -hmm. trick is, is that your three center backs have to be able to actually play by themselves. It literally has to be three in the back. If it's five in the back, then we all hate it. 
if it's actually three and your wingbacks are legitimately wingbacks playing up in midfield so that you have five in midfield, or if it's a three, four, three that you have four with those guys narrow, you know, you have to have the right number of bodies in there so you can control the midfield. Sure. It's legitimately possible. Uh, I don't, I don't, I think it was so bad earlier in the year because the wings wouldn't do it right. The question will be, does Lucci think Paxton and Shun can do it? Because then you might see it happen because we know that he thinks Acosta in there with Faco is a better, right? A six, eight look instead of a double six look, you know, so mm-hmm. we'll see. It's certainly an option. I, I'll have to, this is one of those ones where I'm going to go to training and see what they're trying. Cause uh, yeah, it, he's been so good. You have to balance who am I taking off to get him in? And the answer might be like, are you going to pull Jesus or are you going to pull Sean? It's going to be one of those two guys because you're not taking off Pepe or Paxton, right? So do you lose a 10 or do you lose a wing Yeah. to bring on, to keep Tafari on? Or do you just leave Martinez on the bench and go with Hedges? Or if Hedges is not healthy, go with Martinez. Interesting. Yeah, those will be uh, good questions uh, yeah. going, uh, to, to go forward. All right, so speaking of guys you're going to take off the field, I'm just going to ask the question because it needs to be addressed. Was Brisson's shirt tug on Montero, should it have been called as a PK? Buzz? Uh, you know, probably by the rule of law, probably. I, I, don't, I don't, you know, they kind of are... This is the way VAR works, right? Uh, if they're if they're going to look at something like that where the referee is right on top of it or relatively on top of it, they're not going to overrule him unless it's really, really obvious because it makes him look really bad, right? So it's like if it's close, they're not going to ever overrule the guy. You know, I, I think there's so much clutching and grabbing that, I, you know, a lot of times for me, like a lot of that stuff can just be like, eh, you know, it's like unless but a guy with a ball dribbling straight at your goalkeeper I, who's you know, beating your center back. Yeah. I mean, it depends on whether he actually, I mean, listen, probably. Yeah. I'm sure that's the answer, but oh. I'm not going to complain. <laughs> all right. But do, does Montero deserve credit for not just dropping to the ground? Because, you know, we all know that if, if yeah. he does what most players do, feel that shirt tug and just let himself go, that's a penalty kick. For my enjoyment of the game, I'm glad he doesn't go down. You know, I'm sure that Seattle wishes he had. Uh, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a guy that believes in like a play on, like if the player's in on goal and he stays up, then he he's chosen to stay up. Therefore, he gets to go and have his opportunity. And if he misses it, I'm not going to then bring it back out and give him the PK. So like by him choosing to stay up, he's saying to me, he's saying to the referee, I got this. You know what I mean? So there's kind of like a little bit of an invisible dialogue happening there in my mind. Yeah, he's he's given up the claim of a penalty because he's... I mean, it didn't actually impede him in any way. I mean, whether that's he pulled clear or Brisson let go. See, how do you know that for sure? Because that's the one... That's my one remaining question. It is that I can't tell definitively if the shirt pull has any effect on his ability to shoot the ball. Because he doesn't get a good strike. That's more of a crummy, crummy shot than a Morrow save. Well, he ran clear of it before he had the shot. Um, but just the fact, you know, I mean, you don't play advantage on a penalty, right? So the fact that he's then completed the action, he's had the shot, and yeah, he's fluffed it. It's kind of like saying, "Hey, no, like by the sense, it's no, I'm, I'm, I'm good. This is, this is it. We're playing on." 
Um, you know, if I'm sure Seattle fans, you know, Seattle fans were crying about red card for denial of goal scoring opportunity, all this crap. Um, I, if I was a Seattle fan, I'd be pretty pissed at him because I think that's there's times where players can be too honest, where you have to show, hey, he didn't do anything that was necessarily changing the game, but by the letter of the law, that's what it should be. Same as the, you know, I think you know it kind of balances out with the Yamar thing where. He goes down with the little shoulder barge on hedges and then grabs the ball. Letter of the law, that's a penalty. No referee in their right mind is going to say that's a handball. They're just going to say the easy calls a free kick to Seattle. Well, I, I mean, these are all different instances. I think in that particular uh, uh, scenario, the call was made that their legs got tangled up, and that's why he called the foul on hedges, not because of the shoulder barge, right? Um, I mean, and so that's, that's how he gets away from going. That's that's how he gets out of having to call a handball in the box by him picking up the ball, um, because he can he can say, look, from my point of view, uh, they had a they, you know they came together at the shoulders. Uh, hedges, uh, not hedges. Ryan. Uh, yeah, Ryan. Ryan's legs got yeah. tangled in his, and the guy fell over. That's why I'm calling the foul against him. I get that. But in the Brisson Montero situation, Montero's beat him clean. Brisson, for some weird reason, decides to grab his jersey, pulls it away from his body. I think, I, I mean, I. There's a lot of ways to interpret the law, right? But in my mind, you, you, we are doing the game a disservice if you're then forced to make the player make a decision. Do I fall to the ground and take a penalty kick? Or B, do I try to score this goal, which I may not have a very good opportunity? I'd love to know what the XG on that particular opportunity was because I'm going to guess it's relatively low based on how far away from Mara it was at his point. So I would love, and again, the law isn't written this way, I would love the opportunity for a referee to say, all right, I see the foul, take your shot. If you don't get it, I am going to give you the penalty kick because Brisson is the criminal in this deal and he got away with it. I think the other way to look at it is if, if he is in on goal, the other way to look at it is if, if the ref blows the whistle for the PK and they're like, dude, I was in on goal. You know what I mean? So there's, there's like once the guy's past the defender and has an opportunity to score, they're always going to let that opportunity happen. Well, and they're not likely to then come back and say, okay, you missed. So now it's a PK. Well, well there's differences, right? Like there's all different flavors of this. And in the, in the, in the instance last night, the, the time between Brisson pulling his shirt and him taking the shot is literally, what, less than a second. I'm not no, talking fair. about a guy that pulls his shirt from outside the 18 and now has five steps into the box and takes the shot. This is a bang-bang play, and that's where I feel like the referee does have some latitude to make the decision to make the, P, to, to make the PK call. Because, look, I know as a Dallas fan, you don't want it to be called, but Brisson was in the wrong there. He pulled his jersey, and by any means, any way you interpret the law, that is a penalty kick. The only reason why it gets called off is because the referee decided to let him play on. Yeah, no, I think that's accurate. I'm, I, I agree that it is a penalty. I'm not surprised that he didn't call it once the guy got in and got a shot off. That's yeah, I mean, kind of how I would look at it. That's why you don't play advantage in the box. It's, it, you know... It gets letter of the law, but when it comes down to it, the referee is always going to err on the easy side of it. Oh, he took the shot. I don't have to make the difficult decision. Uh, no, I get it. I'm just saying, as a as yeah. a fan of the game, I don't think we're doing the game a service by letting by calling it that way. Because now you, it's the same argument I make about how the offside rule is made currently, which is you're putting defenders in a situation where they have a no win decision to make. Do I play the ball and potentially uh, play a guy on side if I don't? play it correctly if i bonk it up 
or do I just stand there and let the ball go through and hope that they call it offside? So it's those types of ways the laws are written and the decisions referees make that I don't think are fair to the people that are playing the game correctly. And in this particular instance, I think Montero got robbed because he made the right choice. He just didn't finish the chance. And I would have, as a fan of just purely the game, not of Dallas or Seattle, I would have rather seen the referee go, man, that's such a bang-bang play. I'm going to give you the PK because clearly the foul was was uh, committed by Brisson. Um and that's just, I don't know, that's just me. So if, if it was a case of he's got a handful of shirt as, he sh- as he's winding up to shoot, yeah. But he blew clear. He took, what, two steps and then took the shot. At that point, the shirt, you know, any shirt pull doesn't have an effect. Maybe I'm remembering it incorrectly. I haven't watched it since last night, but I, I don't remember him getting two full steps. I remember him literally getting a shirt tug and almost shooting it directly thereafter, but maybe I'm remembering it incorrectly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I might be remembering it slower than it happened. I'm, I was actually trying to look for a clip, uh, but, you know. Dan's brain works in yeah. slow-mo. <laughs> <laughs> well, here, hold on. Pause Peter, it, and, I, I will, and I'll look oh, it up. No, it's all right. I, I, I agree with your stance, Peter. I think you're probably right. I'm also not surprised it didn't get called. Yeah, fair enough. It's, 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 oh, the unfortunate thing with the game is it's always what's right and what actually happens. Yeah, fair and enough. And that's why, that's why I said the, the Yamar thing, because there wasn't a foul either way there. There was an incidental contact after a fair challenge. Shoulders is totally fair. But because he picked up the ball, he forced a decision. Otherwise, you know, it's just play on. Keeper comes and claims the ball or something like that. Yeah. Well, um, I, you know, overall, I, the, one of the things that I just wonder about all of this is, is that on four points, we feel really good about this team uh, and, and the fact that they've at least improved. But they played a Seattle team that was not playing as well. Uh, Kansas City is a great win. I, I don't know. I guess the question I'm getting, I'm getting ready to ask you guys are: is are we just seeing a, a nice turn in form? Is this do do we are we foreseeing a good turn of fortune and form to the point where maybe we don't feel as worried about this upcoming set of games, or is this kind of like a high point and and probably got the best out of the moment? Well. Certainly, there's some been some improvement. I don't think there's any question that they're better than they were a month ago. This is a win and a tie on the road against the first and second place team in the Western Conference. You have to give some credit for that. Now, have they righted the ship? Or is it a flawless team? Absolutely not. They still have lots of problems. We've talked about multiple of them in this show. I do feel better about this team and their chances over the next few than I did a little while ago. Because they now have three games at home. Austin is not that great, although they just got their third DP. So he's going to play in this game against Dallas, which is awesome, of course. Um, and then they get these same two teams at home, Kansas City and Seattle. So now those teams are going to be mad. They're going to come in here. But these three games right here, these three home games in a row, this is a chance for this team to really right the ship. If you can do at home what you're supposed to do, and, and we thought these were going to be like maybe one win and two losses here coming up. If they can actually get, you know, wins and ties out of all those games, then they're going to be way better off than we thought they were going to be because they still have six of seven on the road after this three. That makes this three super, super vital. And if you can come out of the back of these three, having gotten a fair decent amount of points, you're going to give yourself a legitimate shot to make the playoffs. And you might actually be able to get this thing going back in a, overall get the whole thing going in a really good direction 
So credit to Lucci for not quitting. I mean, he managed to keep from losing the locker room. He managed to keep the team engaged. And he managed to get them playing some better football. And they did it by playing this 4-4-1-1 thing and covering up the outside backs that weren't going very well. And it has worked. So great. Let's see how how good they can be with these three home games. And by the way, Dan, while uh, Buzz was talking, I found it in the highlights for the league. It's at a minute 20. And yeah, I'm more convinced than ever that he should have called the penalty <laughs> kick. Peter says it's a foul. You go watch it. I'm yeah. just saying. I'm glad he didn't, but I'm just saying. If that was if the if the tables were turned, we'd still be bitching up a storm about it. I mean, just absolutely oh, yeah. throwing mean, a hissy fit. Ultimately, he's got to go down if he wants that penalty. Yeah. See, I, it's not a it's not a, a nice thing. A but it's the reality of the game. I know, but we shouldn't be putting players in those positions to make those decisions. A referee well, should be brave enough to make those. That's calls. something I explain to people all the time: is that they that, that I know that aren't soccer fans that whine about the diving. And I was like, you have to understand the advantage rule. These guys have so much body control, and I'm not talking about this particular instance. I mean, just in general terms, these guys have phenomenal body control. When you bang into them, they don't just fall over. So it's like you, if you foul them, and the player, the attacking player, gets fouled. If he wants the foul, he has to fall over. In order to get the foul, or else you're going to play on, and that's why you have so much falling over in soccer. It's just the nature of the game because of that individual rule. Now, is it true in this case they should have called it? Probably. I don't know. How mad would they be if you call that penalty and they pull the penalty back and he missed the penalty? And then how mad are you? Are his fans that he didn't get the shot off? Yeah. They didn't let him have it. So it's like you know, it's okay. Watching it back, if Brasan doesn't let go. Then I think you, you have no choice. I don't know, man. I'm uh, well. Yeah, no. Obviously, he doesn't let go, but he lets go because Montero gets away from him and takes the shot immediately thereafter. I, I look. We could go on and on about it. I don't yeah. want to drag the whole pod down. <laughs> I I'm just making the case that I uh, my overall thing is it's not about this situation specifically. It's that I think referees should be braver about making those calls. Uh, and 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 not forcing the players to have to make a moral decision <laughs> on the field in that way. I, I don't know. It's probably made t- way too much about nothing. Um, we talked a little bit about uh, the Hungarian kid who we, we bagged on a ton uh, when he got here because of the way he got thrown on the field and out of position and just looked like a chicken with his head cut off. I, you know, I would say that his performance in Kansas City buzz was better than it was in Seattle, probably based on the fact that Dallas was sitting back a little bit. But I do, uh, I am wondering from both of you guys, are, are if there's one thing I like about the kid is that he has that kind of Pax, I will go at you mentality, which is so rare in this team and desperately needed. Oh, yeah. He looked really good against LA, too. I think that was the first game when we, we thought he looked pretty quality. Yeah, honestly, it's like they've struggled so much with the wings. You know, uh, Obreon is is an over-the-top guy behind the defense, right? Vargas says his game is to go at people, but he hadn't been effective at it. Paxton obviously is. So seeing Shin on the other side as a guy who can dribble at guys and beat guys, and and even if if he's checking back, turn and then go forward, you know, that's that's priceless on the offensive end. When you can make those kind of things, you put the defense under stress. It creates space for Pepe. Goodness, I can talk. Creates space for Pepe. It creates more space for Paxton. It creates space for overloads on the outside, even though uh, Hogshead's not doing it lately. You know, anytime you have a player that can take on guys, it helps everybody around him be better. Yeah. 
I'm a little worried that he's a little uh, slight in size. He does seem to get pushed around a little too easily for this league. Yeah, he does get knocked off the ball a little more than you would like. But remember, he is young still, so maybe they can get a little, you know, upper chicken body fried stream. steak. Yeah, get him a little. I might saw him eating some uh, Mexican food the other day. Get, get a little pack, a little pounds on. No, you want to do it right. You want to get some upper body strength. The whole Paxton had the same problem. Paxton used to be too light. Yeah, put him on the Paxton up. program. Yeah. Look how muscled out that kid looks. I know. He's totally, looks totally different, doesn't he? Yeah. We'll now say, he's uh, not fat. I will say he took that elbow like a champ. He did. When when he uh, tried, uh, granted, he tried running into the back of somebody, which is a foul, um, and, and caught an elbow for his troubles. But yeah, other than the weird face he pulled. <laughs> he did pull a weird <laughs> <more> face. <laughs> yeah. No, positive. Uh, you know, look, if the other option is, Vargas, uh, I'm happy to leave Sean out there. If it's to put Paxson left and O'Brien right, I'm happy to leave Paxson and Sean out there. I think he's doing plenty of good work, even if the Kansas City game was not quite as good. Sorry, the Seattle game, sorry. But again, that's the side that Seattle was overloading. They had the Rodon brothers were over there. That's a tough mark, you know. So not surprising you got overloaded on that side. And then I want to talk a few minutes about Jesus Ferreira, who is kind of like the Texas weather. If you don't like it, wait a few minutes and you're going to get something different. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I, man, that kid, that kid just blows so hot and so cold. And I just can't figure out. It, I don't know. Every time I think I'm completely done with him, he does something great. And then he shows up and he kind of has a game like he did in Seattle. And I'm like, man, we are just wasting our time. Aren't we? Oh, uh, yeah, I don't, it's it's a question of whether how far back he's coming to try to find the ball. That's all it really is. When he stays high, and they can get the ball to him because they have more of a linking player in there, then I think he's fine. It's, okay, but if know, he hadn't if he hadn't scored the goal against Kansas City earlier in the week, Dan, because you seem like you strongly disagree with me, would would you still feel the same way about Jesus's performance in the last two or three games? No, I thought he was. I didn't think he was that good in Kansas City either. Oh, know. okay, all right. You grunted like maybe you disagreed with me. You thought I overstepped no, my bounds. It, it, it was it was uh, so completely right that it's either so hot or so cold. He doesn't do mediocre. He's either terrible or wonderful. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it it's really like, is. <laughs> and that's the gamble. Do you just put him out in hope that it's going to be one of those wonderful games, or do you know? Yeah. I mean, this, this entire formation, this 4-4-1-1 thing, is built on the idea of Jesus being high underneath Pepe. He has to break lines through that section of the field. He has to make those bursts into the box to slightly pull off center backs and make a little space for Pepe. If he's not doing that, if he's checking back into where the holding mids are playing, the whole thing falls apart. Pepe's on an island. He doesn't ever get the ball. There's no build for it. There's no line breaking. And the thing sucks. The whole thing works or fails based on Jesus. And that's why he gets yanked in the 60th minute for, or whatever it was, 68th minute for Acosta, because Acosta knew he had to go up there and play in the right spot. All right, so now let's talk about the other person that we've spent the better part of a season bagging on, yet now I feel like I, uh, I'm starting to come around a little bit, is uh, Frank O'Hara, who did score the tying goal, and it's a huge goal. It's so important. I mean, that... That tying, you know, uh, scoring that goal and getting the point and leaving with the point uh, probably means more than I think most people realize. That's a really, really big deal. And it dawned on me based on his quote after the game, uh, which, by the way, have you, have you guys seen his quote in no. the uh, media release after the game? It, it said all the right things, just talking about 
you know, being the best player he can be coming off the bench and, and trying to help the young players and how important scoring that goal was, this, that, and the other. And it really gave you the sense of a guy who isn't, frustrated or pissed or bitter that he's making all this money and not starting that he seemingly at least in the way he says it and the way that he performs when he comes on the field is that at least he gets it and he's trying and I did begin to wonder that if we find out at the end of the season while he may not bag all the goals that Dan Hunt promised us he would if what Lucci gets out of him is some sort of wisdom and mentorship on Pepe that makes Pepe a better player and improves on the things that he's not good at that maybe Hara is maybe then that's the return on the two million dollar investment yeah it might be that his entire salary go is for that because <laughs> you know look I, I tell you like from going to training the guy is totally engaged he always is trained now they, they do a little load management on him because he is 37 year 39 53, whatever he is. <laughs> so, you know, he, the guy works his tail off and he does not complain and he's always positive and he grinds. And if, if you can use him, there's nothing wrong with having a veteran striker as a late game guy to come on a dude that can hold up a dude that can mentor Pepe. All those things are awesome. The only reason we hate him is because he gets paid $3 million or 2.9 or whatever the hell it is. Even though we talked about that last week, and the fact that, like, when he was starting, he wasn't producing. Like, if you forget that and just accept what he is now and forget about what he gets paid, because he's just he's a DP guy, so really it's only 500K on the cap, right? It's all yeah. serviceable and all legit and all beneficial to the team as it is. It's only the salary that makes you grunt and mad. What he's doing now, if he stays like this, is fine. Now, I don't want to carry him for another season, but they may be forced to. We'll see. And if he scores those sort of goals, I don't think anyone's going to mind. Yeah. I mean, that's what he's here uh, for. You know, it may be a slightly apples to oranges, but Kenny Cooper's second spell when he, when, uh, you know, he was that weird makeshift winger. (laughs) Ask anyone what they remember from it. It's the goal against Houston. It's not how terrible half most of his games were. Yeah, that's a, that's a really, really good point. Now, I, I also want to say, as part of this entire uh, horror experience, in my head, the way that I've built this narrative, because I really do, at the end of the day, want him to succeed, is that this kind of shift in attitude from Hara is all due to Lucci. In my mind, at some point earlier in the season, when Lucci was having to make the decision to bench Hara and keep Pepe as a starter, he took Franco to lunch, They had some cheeseburgers, and he just had a one-on-one man-to-man conversation and somehow got Hara right with Ball. And and this was all Lucci's doing and his coaching and mentorship that that made all this good. And and I'm just hoping that's how it happened. I mean, (laughs) if it didn't, don't tell me because I don't want to know because I've built it in my head this way. Well, listen, again, as much as we have bagged on Lucci for the things he's doing wrong, another thing that he does right is he does not give up on guys. Remember, he didn't give up on Cobra. We, we were all like, Cobra sucks, cut him, get rid of him. And then all of a sudden, Cobra's banging and goes like crazy. Again, Frank O'Hara, we're like, he sucks, buy him out, get rid of him. But she didn't give up on him. He still treated him like a pro. He still uses him in whatever way he finds a benefit. It's like Obreon too, right? Everyone wants to get rid of Obreon. Yes. Well, Lucci's finding a way to use him as a game change, you know, change of pace. Now, it's not always gangbusters, but at least he's not giving up on the guy. So this is where... <laughs> We have to give, I think we have to give Lucci credit for not giving up on guys oh, on his team yes. that we all gave up. We all gave up on him, and he did not. And it, it's just like two or three times now where Lucci has stuck with a guy and found value in him. 
All right. I'm so glad you mentioned this because I totally forgot this from the Kansas City game, and I'm not sure you're aware that this happened, Buzz, because you didn't see the game. And Dan, you know the moment that I'm talking about because it it resulted in one of my favorite tweets I've ever put out, which was comparing Obreon to Will Ferrell's more cowbell uh, character in the Saturday Night Live sketch where he's just banging a cowbell, adding nothing to the to the performance, yet he just is the center of all the attention, which is the moment in the Kansas City game where Pepe gets into the box and he kind of plays the ball wide. And uh, Obreon, I don't know if he thinks Pepe's passed in the ball or he's not paying attention, but he completely bonks the opportunity and he actually takes the shot and hits it wide. And I thought, oh my God, please just leave him in Kansas City. This is, that was <laughs> such a terrible moment and so embarrassing. I, I just don't know, Buzz, what he adds. And if you're going to tell me that eventually yeah. Lucci's, Lucci's patience with him is going to pay off, I'm not sure I believe you. I don't know, man. We were, we were wrong about Cobra. And, uh, and I certainly was to a certain extent wrong. I mean, I think still think Har is not that great, but. You know, he has found a value in him. I'm not, no longer am I ever going to completely give up on a guy. There's a chance that Lucci can find some value in him because the pace is so strong. (laughs) Listen, dude, you play, you know that when even guys are not great, if the body is on the other side of you making a blistering fast run, you have to adapt to that guy's run. That if you make that run, the center back's going to have to turn. And all of a sudden, Hara's got one guy instead of two, or Pepe's got one guy instead of two, just because you made the run. So there is a value there, even if he shanks it wide. I'm not saying it's not good. I'm just saying that like it's better than like would it be better than Dante Seeley? Like you ready to run Dante Seeley out there all the time? Oh yeah, well, only because he's a kid, and I want to see what the kid's capable of, and I love him getting the experience. I, look, I appreciate the fact that Jadir goes out there and he just works his tail off. But Dan, back me up. That moment in the Kansas City game was his Christian Coleman kicking the goalpost instead of the ball moment. Yeah, that was the first thing I thought of, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I, I mean, I'm down from getting the last 20 minutes just to run at, guy, at yeah. tired legs late on. But but why yeah, isn't Seeley doing that? Like, shouldn't Seeley be doing that? Does Seeley even make the bench, Yeah, honestly? And that tells well, you something. Well, All I right, mean, fair enough. Sealy also still has that habit of where he tries to hold on to the ball past too many people, whereas, you know, everyone's running straight at them. They're chasing, they're, okay. they're blowing out of their asses. You know, it's just a little bit different in that stage. I'd I, rather have Sealy before Oberon. I accept I can be wrong in this instance, but I'm right about oh. that being his Christian Coleman moment. You may be right. He may be utter crap forever. I'm just saying that after Lucci has twice now not given up on a guy, I'm not going to give up on anybody ever. <laughs> that's not true <laughs> although we will refer to him as Forrest Gump from now on <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, listen speed kills you cannot teach speed there is I, a value to and speed they don't, and they don't have a lot of it on the team either right you know yeah. Pepe's not exactly super fast Paxton is pretty fast but not crazy fast they don't have a ton of speed on this team yeah Paxton's quick 10 yards he's not quick 50 yards yeah for yeah. sure 
Um, okay, well, look, at the end of the day, complaining aside, this, that, and the other, four points on two road games, the first win of the season has uh, got to make everybody feel much better than we did this time a week ago. At, uh, but let's also add in the fact that Dallas is now undefeated in their last three games. And, man, if anything feels good, it's wow. that right there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and sitting championship in the, form. It is championship <laughs> form. And look at them crawl back up the standings now into ninth place on 18 points. They're well over well over a point per game at 1.06. And as I look at the standings and I look all the way over to the right in the away column, look at that sweet, clean one win sitting right there, just (laughs) shining bright for Dallas. Well, Portland has one win and Houston has zero wins and Vancouver has zero wins and Minnesota has one win. Life on the road's hard in MLS, man. Yes. In fact, let's just put this yeah. into perspective. In the West, there are only two teams with true winning records on the road. That's Seattle and Kansas City. And then Colorado is 500 on the road at 3-3-1. Three, three, and one. Everybody else yeah. has a losing record on the road. Uh, and only really four teams have – well, no, I guess there's some with two. Yeah. So anyway, you get my point. Yeah. We all. If you ever want to really blow your mind, go look at the history of Major League Soccer and the average away record for teams, and you will be shocked at yeah. how cr- not just bad, crummy it is from year to year. For well, sure. Well, look at where they're sitting now. Seattle, Salt Lake City, Salt Lake City, Real Salt Lake is seventh at twenty-one points. Dallas is three points back of that, at in ninth. They're they're two points behind Portland, and they're. Right there with San Jose. I mean, it's like it's a big log jam. And even LAFC is on 23, right? I mean, it's like there's, there's two games different between 5th and 13th, basically. Yeah, in the West. Minnesota, Minnesota yeah. Salt Lake, and Portland do have a game in hand. But your point is sure. made. It is, no, it fair is enough. jam-packed. I mean, we're 17 games into the season. The season is half over, and they're mm-hmm. three points behind playoffs with 17 games to play. I mean, anything yeah. literally literally in this league, I mean, you probably can't catch Kansas City but pretty much or Seattle, but pretty much anybody else you probably can catch. You know, if you get on a hot enough streak, this is what other teams have done. Seattle always does this. Portland used to do this. Get hot midseason and go from there. You know, I'm not saying this team's going to do that because I actually think it has flaws that it can't overcome to be that good. But I definitely think they can still make the playoffs, as crazy as that is. Well, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves, because coming up is the date that we've all been dreading. North Austin FC is coming to town. (laughs) Yeah. Now, we need to talk about this, because uh, for all the good vibes we've had of getting four points in two road games, something's about to happen on Saturday up at Toyota Stadium that I think is going to create a lot of conversation, a lot of consternation, and a lot of frustration. And that is, Austin is bringing an assload of weird Austinites up to Toyota Stadium, and I have a really big concern that they are going to uh, uh, dominate the proceedings on the evening. And then that also then coincides with one of the weirdest parentheses, dumbest, close parentheses, promotional ideas I've seen in some time. And I don't know which one of you or if you want me to explain it, but uh, let's, just, let's just get into this real quick. I actually think it's genius. No, it is not genius. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, It's a, such a lame <laughs> five-year-old. Oh, no. It's, it's the best. It's terrible, but for, uh, for FC Dallas' standards and what you expect of them, 
It's genius. Okay, so let's explain to everybody. Austin is coming to town for the first time. They have a army of buses. Uh, what is the number up to on the number of uh, supporter so group tickets that we've heard? They, uh, 1,200 or something? They, they were allowed 600 away tickets. They've also been purchasing home tickets. So the number that was given out to expect is somewhere in the region of 2,000. <laughs> now, let's just put that into perspective. The new supporters group standing, safe standing area that has been relatively packed over the last couple of games. 450. Yeah. So if you think that, uh, just take 450 people in that one corner is now going to literally be uh, four times as large in terms of an Austin group. Do, are they sitting throughout the stadium or are they all sitting together somewhere? Do we know? I mean, there'll be 600 together and the rest will be spread out somewhere. Do we know where the 600 are sitting? Nope, because they keep moving the away section and it hasn't been away fans lately. <laughs> so the promotion that we're speaking of, and again, I guess your mileage may vary, is the either ingenious or stupid or somewhere in between the decision to also coincide this with Dallas Stars Night, which means people will come to the stadium in theory wearing their Dallas Victory Green, which then will give the FC Dallas front office the ability to say, look at all these Dallas Stars fans when the vast majority of them are actually Austin FC fans. Yeah, you're going to be able to talk the whole game about how great it is the Dallas Stars just came out in force, all these Dallas Stars fans. It's going to be awesome. And listen, there's no such thing as bad publicity. Uh, I think it's fantastic. People are going to talk about it. It's going to be crazy. They're going to do some there's going to be green crap on the lights. I mean, who knows what all is going to happen. It's going to be great. I'm glad I'm covering the Denton game. <laughs> I I I don't know where I don't know what bit you're running, Buzz, but I yeah. I don't. It's going to be craptastic. Listen, your road team's bringing in 2,000 fans into your building. That's great. I appreciate I know, listen, that. I know. Well, that's what I'm saying is like they're all going to be wearing green. If you can think of any way to diffuse that, even if it's a bit. And just have like guys and stars green showing up, so there'll be the green everywhere. And it's like it's not about them; it's about the stars. I I love that. I think it's awesome. My big Those... concern is is that uh, from this, the reaction in the front office won't be one of face palm or embarrassment or shame. It will be holy crap! Look at all these tickets we sold. Yes, hundred percent. They sold a bunch of tickets. They don't care. Yeah, I know, and that that really drives me bonkers. But look, if, if you don't want away fans, just limit away fans. Don't let them buy tickets. But they want to sell tickets, so they do. The big well, problem you've got is it's it's great in DFW. You can say, "Hey, look at all these stars fans." You can't say that around the country. You can't say that in MLS circles. All you can say is, "Hey, look how many people are in green in the Red Team Stadium." Is it a national broadcast? Doesn't matter. It's still going to get shared around. ESPN plus highlights everything else. It's you'll still think gonna... people you'll think people pick up on that narrative, that idea. No, 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 nobody in New England's going to know anything about it being Dallas Stars night. In fact, of all the other markets combined, the only people that are going to know about the Dallas Stars joke are the people in Austin and the people in Dallas. Right? Does and, anybody watch this team outside of Dallas? Well, it, they do yeah. when it comes to making them the butt of the attendance joke. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, every TIFO I've designed within 10 minutes of it being raised, there was a Reddit thread and all this other stuff. Like, people watched everything in this league. Yeah, I, I again, I, 
I think it's great that Austin has this early enthusiasm and people are showing up and people are traveling. They won that game against, I mean, and, and good Lord, the fact that they beat Houston and Austin last night uh, in that interesting game and almost gave it up despite the fact they played a large portion of the game a man up, you know, is going to give them all kinds of enthusiasm to come up here and just create havoc. And, and I, I just wish we could see a front office make the effort to get a home crowd uh, uh, show up in in the same way that Austin can get people to travel four hours up I-35. Yep. Now, obviously, the vast majority of the stadium is going to be filled with FC Dallas fans, but they won't be in the same mode as these Austin fans will be in. Well, look, if, if you find it embarrassing as, a, as an organization, number one, win the game. Number two, market and fill up your damn stadium, right? If it's embarrassing, yeah. it's because that's what this franchise does is embarrassing stuff. Yeah, but at the end of but Buzz, here's the problem: the people that are embarrassed are not the people in the front office. It's not Dan and Clark Hunt that are embarrassed. You you know, it's it's not the ticket. It it is people like you and me and the average fan that are embarrassed. It's the people having to wear the shirt and pay the money. I'm not embarrassed. It's I'm I'm aware what this team's been for 25 years. It doesn't embarrass me. I'm just saying that like if if anyone's going to be upset about Stockholm syndrome. (laughs) <laughs> right. Well, the, the, it's clear that the, the ownership's not going to be upset, right? The only people you're just be numb upset. to it. You're jaded, and numb is what you are. Yeah. Well, I told you a long time ago. The only thing I care about is that there's a Division One team for me to watch. I don't care about anything else. Yeah, I know. I right. Know. We we spent the, so much of our lives without any of this. Yeah. I get it. No, that's a that's a very good attitude to have about it. Yeah. I, I half my life I didn't have a pro t- team to cheer from. Most of these kids grew up with the team. So I have a very different perspective. So to me, it doesn't bother me that a bunch of road fans come here. I actually think it's cool that a bunch oh, of road th- fans are going to come here. I think it's going to be a fun atmosphere. I think that our Dallas supporters are going to be yelling at the Austin guys and vice versa. There'll be a bunch of you're a bunch of poser chants or whatever <laughs> back and forth. And the bottom line is, you know, win the damn game. That's yeah. what matters. Well, let's talk about the game. Do you have any? Uh, have you had a chance to kind of put to your into your head how you think Lucci is he going to roll out the same eleven? Is he going to make you know uh, Owen and Steve were talking about Lucci potentially doing a lot of rotation uh, on on this game and what that may mean. Well, a lot of rotation is a relative term. Lucci doesn't do heavy rotation uh, when you win a game on the road when you haven't won all year, and then you tie a game on the road when you haven't done a tie on the road all year, back-to-back games, you're going to carry the same 11 forward. The only thing that would affect that would be Lucciisms like uh, Edwin Surreal having a, a little bit of a poorer game in the last one at Seattle. And, Bri- and Lucci loves Brian Acosta. And Brian Acosta has been MVP form other than maybe two games. He's been the MVP. So it's entirely plausible that regardless of the fact that you had two good results, why not bring up Brian Acosta back, particularly at home, particularly when the problems you've had have been the build through the middle of the field. So that solves a lot of that. That's number one. Number two, Brisson's been not that great and is last time I checked still on this yellow card thing. And Hedges is getting better and Martinez is getting better physically. Hedges is ahead of Martinez. So is Hedges ready to start for probably Brisson, in my opinion? Those are the only two. Otherwise, there's no question that you roll out the exact same team just how much does Lucci want to get his ca- his real captain, Matt Hedges, back? And how much does he want to get his biggest, high-paid, most valuable DP back, Acosta? Those are the two things. Otherwise, you don't change anything. 
Okay, well, all of that means Saturday night at Toyota Stadium at 7.30 p.m. It is the debut of Austin versus Dallas uh, at Toyota Stadium, like I said, and it should be an interesting scene, uh, to say the least. All right, the other big news of the week was the fact that Ricardo Pepe was named to the All-Star team. He was a coach's pick, is that what they Coach's pick, yeah. Yeah, okay. And who's the coach? (laughs) I believe it's Bob Bradley. Is it Bob? I think so. Hmm. Interesting. So, uh, congratulations to Ricardo. I hope he got a little, uh, a little pep, extra little bonus in there uh, for making that. There was a cool picture of him getting to pose with the All Star jersey uh, at the end of that. And then the other, oh, the other thing about the Seattle game, which will convert us to Kit Talk. Loved it that Dallas wore the white shorts with the blue socks and the red shirts up in Seattle. I thought that was a very, very sharp look. Oh, you buried the lead. That was the best part. I did. <laughs> Sorry, I should have started the whole effing podcast. Yeah, with that. white uh, shorts, it's the kid, best. Kid News talks you to lead. Yeah, Kid News yeah. is the best, uh, uh for sure. Does All right, numbers. I mean, how long have I been telling you the white shorts were going to be awesome with that combo? The red, I thought, blue haven't, socks. They, haven't they worn mm. the white shorts with the red shirt at some point no, this season the, already? The academy does, not, not the first team. That's the first time. Where have we seen the white shorts then this season? Because I know I've seen the red numbers with the blue stripes somewhere. Is that Was that when they wore them with the powder blues? Is they, that where they, I've seen the white? They wore white and white with the powder blues, and they did a white, white with the red. They wore the white with white socks somewhere. I can't remember where it was. I have yeah. to look it up. But that was the first time we've seen the red, white, blue, which, if you remember, was what I suggested. Like, if you're going to kill hoops, pick that red, white, blue as your iconic pattern with shirt short and socks and that way like Manchester United except blue mm-hmm. you know that's a that's a good look and a substantial look an identifiable look you could do a lot with that yeah it was uh it was uh, quite dandy by the way uh speaking of kit talk I saw a new Luton Town kit the other day Dan oh the away one yeah what what, what was like interesting it. about it was some pat- dark pattern is that what it is uh yeah it's like a navy blue and then it's got blue and orange kind of stripes it's it's like a throwback to a striped away a shirt we had in the early 90s Hmm. because the last one was the crazy one with the diamond the umbro diamonds everywhere which was the 1990 home shirt all right the other big and very very important news is is that local soccer fans have a choice to make on saturday night if you don't want to see the uh, ridiculousness of the austin people in town you could travel a little farther north and enjoy a championship game in the npsl as denton hosts tulsa and this is a big exciting uh, event for the denton diablos yeah i mean the second season and they make uh, make the national championship uh, that effectively qualifies them for the U.S. Open Cup next season. Um, you know, oh, and they they also confirmed that anyone in a green jersey at that game is definitely a Tulsa Athletic fan, not a Dallas <laughs> Stars fan. <laughs> you know, uh, this is so just for people who haven't been paying attention, the NPSL would be what fifth uh, fifth tier in the pyramid or uh, sixth, fourth, fourth, yeah. Yeah, it's the oh, same man. as USL two underneath USL one, which is third. Oh, see, I didn't even think it was that high. I thought it was a tier below USL two. No, it, it and USL two are exactly the same. It's mostly college players. Home let's let's be honest, is still above NISA. It is. Yes. 
Well, congratulations uh, to Damon and his uh, team. And, man, they look like they're having a good time. Their kits are awesome, the red and the black. Um, and it should be a good scene. It's at, a, uh, what, Denton High School? Is that what it is? Denton High School, Saturday, 7.30. So the exact same kickoff time as the uh, FC Dallas game. They've been a bit unlucky that all these playoff games they've had at home have fallen on, on FC Dallas home games. Um, yeah, they've... Uh, you know, they've absolutely killed it. They obviously hosting, they are the highest seed remaining um, after coming off a 4-3 win in extra time in, uh, in Cleveland uh, in the national semifinal. Uh, you know, it should be a, a great one. Um, they've had Trevor Aman kind of blown up for them. He scored seven goals in the playoffs now. He scored in every game. Wow. To put him on 13 for the season. He was actually on Sirius XM the other day. They've... Uh, so they're, they're taking that pretty seriously. But, uh, you know, anyone who's not at the FC Dallas game, uh, because, you know, hopefully not because they've sold an Austin fan their tickets. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I'm going to be there covering it for the blogs. So uh, come hang out. Yeah, I hope Denton as a community shows up for this game and people who are curious about what's going on uh, take a moment to go watch because it would be great to see uh, a big crowd for that game and, and for that team because that's really quite an achievement to have made the final of their league in their second season. That club has a little bit of ambition. I don't know that they'll be in the NPSL forever. Just a guess on my part. Oh, they won't. No, I, I, I agree. There, like I said, we've talked about this. There are several of these small kind of amateur soccer teams that have big ambitions, and, and uh, Damon and the Denton Diablos certainly is one of them, and uh, we wish them the best, so go Diablos. Um, all right, anything else that I have forgotten to uh, bring up in the pod that you guys would like to do before I do my promotional read? Well, the I don't know if you know that like because of the – I guess because of the weird delay at the start of the season, sometimes this season there are like team of the week or player of the week just off of like the midweek games. Mm. So today an MLS team of the week came out and on the bench from Dallas are Jimmy Maurer and Frank O'Hara. No MLS team of the week bench, Frank O'Hara. Man, I, how are those decided? Is that like just some uh, intern up in New York City. (laughs) Just like, oh, we haven't named this guy in a while. Let's throw him on there. He scored a goal in the last minute. He deserves at least the bench. There's some weird metrics that's sponsored by Audi, and their metric is stupid enough that if you score a penalty, you get fewer points than if you miss the penalty and then turn in the rebound. I thought thought the Audi index uh, was dissolved after last season. No, well, so. I don't know. Like sometimes half of the team of the week has like these Audi graphics. Uh, I mean, I have no idea what's oh, yeah, going on. Anyone who scored a goal gets that. Oh, is that what it is? Okay. <laughs> I don't know. See? Yeah. You, you get an Audi ring. Yeah. <laughs> just one. Not all yeah. Not all four. Just one. <laughs> sometimes they're a little wonky. You know, if I was going to pick a Dallas player, I would have picked Tafari for the bench, you know, or even to start. Yeah. I mean, Graham Zussi made the first team, team of the week. So, you know, mm. which is baffling. Right. Yeah. All right, well, uh, here we go with the promotional read. Third Degree, the podcast, is brought to you by Soccer 90. Soccer 90 is your source for all your FC Dallas, U.S. national team, and international club gear. Does Denton Diablo's gear count as international club gear? Just asking for a friend. Oh, yeah, no, huge, big time. 
All right. Everything from Chivas to Chelsea to Juventus and even the new USA gear. And because you are our personal favorite Third Degree Pod listener, you're going to get 25% off your order. Just use the code Third Degree. Don't tell anybody else. Just use it for yourself at checkout at Soccer90. The word soccer, the number nine and the number zero, then a dot, then com is all for you. You're welcome. All right, Dan. Thanks for all your uh, support and your insight. Thanks for actually watching the game and remembering thanks. you recorded. And thanks for watching that penalty incident. Well, we disagree, but we can be friends, right? No. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and Buzz, don't forget to record the damn games. People are yeah, counting on you, man. I, know, I forget. And by the way, I don't think Soccer 90 has Diablo's gear, but Diablo's has a very nice store in Denton. So you should go they check do. that out. Opposite East Side, which is yeah. very nice, cheap drinks. Very well, nice store. Yeah. Maybe we should call our friends at Soccer 90 and say, hey, have you thought about carrying Denton Diablo's gear in your store? Oh, yeah, they should. I don't know. Hopefully that didn't get us in trouble for saying that. <laughs> hey, and by the way, I did get uh, my official FC Dallas Curious uh, t-shirt, oh. and it is sexy, and I can't wait to wear it in public, and everybody should go buy an FC Dallas Curious shirt, uh, if, especially if you're a listener to this particular pod. Yeah. So thank you, FC Dallas Curious fan. We appreciate you listening, and we'll speak to you next week, hopefully on the back of more points of another edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Go Denton and anyone is not from the domain area and not north of Austin. Yeah, that was too much. Third Degree, the Third Degree Nerd Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Nerd Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Nerd Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Nerd Podcast.